It's a very appropriate <clears throat> song for partaking of the Lord's Supper and being reminded of His body, being reminded of His blood that He gave for us. And He took the bread at, at the Last Supper and He broke it and He said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Scripture tells us that after supper He took the cup and he said, talked about it being a new covenant. And I've just been thinking about that this week and just excited about the truth that we get to have direct access to the Father because of Jesus. And the new covenant, that idea that the veil was torn from top to bottom, that God just provided a way for us to have a relationship with him through Jesus Christ. There's no other way. And we're going in the midst of problems in the midst of things that we face in the midst of trouble we know that God's right there with us he's right there with us he's never left us he doesn't forsake us he doesn't leave us to ourselves and so he said this is the new covenant in my blood as often as you drink it do so in remembrance of me let's pray together father we uh, we come before you today and God we, we say thank you God, thank you that this is, this is the way. This is the way that we, we get to have a relationship with you is, is through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And Father, I, I pray that for us that it would encourage us, God. I pray that it would just fill us with hope and, and fill us with purpose and, God, desire just to walk with you. And Father, I pray that as we look in your word this morning that you would challenge us, God, that you would stretch us, God, that you would teach us, that you would pursue us. Father, I, I, just, I, I just know that there's people here who are struggling that, that need to be challenged this morning, that need to be reminded this morning that you, you haven't left, you haven't left them to themselves. But God, you're right there and you're waiting. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I am so glad to be here this morning. I hope that you are glad and I hope that you uh, will just kind of hang out with me for a little bit as we uh, look into Scripture and uh, just kind of dig into the life of Abraham a little bit uh, today. It's just an exciting time because I know that all of us in this room are on some kind of journey of faith. All of us in here are on some kind of journey. For, for a lot of us, we've entered into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. That's the only way to have a relationship with God. And we've entered into that. And uh, now it's a matter of learning to live a life uh, of faith, and that faith paves the way to living a life of obedience is what we really talked about last week. And, but there's others in this room who, they, they really haven't quite gotten there yet. They haven't quite gotten to that, like, I'm willing to be all in with this Jesus thing. I'm, I'm still a little skeptical. I have some questions that are unanswered. And I know there's people like that. In a room this size, there's always people like that. So I, I don't know where you are on that spectrum of that, that journey of faith, but I want to encourage you and challenge you today from the life of a guy that most of us have heard about. His name is Abraham. And last week we, we started talking about Abraham. We started this journey and this conversation and realizing uh, kind of the big idea last week was faith paves the way to obedience. Faith paves the way to obedience. And, and what we talked about in the context of last week was how if you want to live a life of obedience... And most of us who are in a relationship with God desire to live a life of obedience. Um, and so we talked about how you accomplish that is by learning to live a life of faith. 
Because really what, what we, it boils down to in our life is, do you believe that God is who he says that he is, and that he's going to do the things that he said he's going to do? And if you believe that, then that's that step of faith. Those are, that, that's kind of that beginning to say, okay, God, since I, I believe that about you, I'm willing to take this step of faith because I know that your promises are true. I know that you are right and trustworthy. And because of that, I will live this life of obedience. You see, living a life of disobedience is just simply saying to God, I don't trust you. I don't believe you are who you say that you are. I don't believe that you're going to do what you say that you're going to do. And so the idea is in our life, faith paves the way to obedience. When you believe God, and you take those steps, then you're willing to take those steps of obedience. And the, in the life of Abram, we talked last week specifically about three different areas. And the first one is this, that faith calls you. I know I'm reviewing, um, but if every one of you can tell me all of the blanks from last week, I won't review. Can anybody do that? I didn't think so. Okay, so um, faith calls us from the known to the unknown. Faith calls us to the, from the known, what we know, to the unknown, what, what's unknown, what's uncertain. And so we, we take those steps of faith, and the truth is with Jesus, when you're walking with Jesus, he's making these calls in your life, and he's calling you to leave what you know for what you don't know. And another way we said that last week was that he calls us to leave what's comfortable for what's uncomfortable. To leave what's comfortable. We're all comfortable. I'm a little more comfortable in this service. I took my jacket off. I don't know if anybody else. And it feels like somebody kicked the air on, so it feels much, much better. But we're, we're creatures of comfort. But in our walk of faith, God calls us to go from what's comfortable to what's uncomfortable. And a lot of times that weighs itself out in, in living that life of obedience. Um, we've got we've to do some things that maybe in our mind we're like, that doesn't make any sense. I don't feel comfortable doing that. But when Jesus told you to do it, you kind of need to go and do it anyway. And that's kind of what happens in this journey of faith, so you, from what's known to unknown. The other thing about um, faith that we talked about last week is that faith requires action. Faith requires action. Faith is not passive. Faith is not sit and soak. Faith requires you to take some sort of action. It's kind of like when I opened this morning in the Lord's Supper and read to you Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24, when you say, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and see if there's any anxious way in me, to see if there's any hurtful way in me. If you're really going to sit there and ask God to do that in your life, then there's going to be things that he's going to reveal to you that you're going, uh, requiring you to take some kind of action, something. Because you've probably hurt somebody along the way. You've probably hurt the glory of God in some way. And so faith requires you to take action. And are you somebody who's taking action? Or, or have you become like a lot of Christians and we've become so passive in our faith? We don't share our faith. We don't model our faith. We don't live out the gospel of Jesus Christ in our life. And really, it's just this passive thing that we've come to the place where we, you know, we show up on Sundays and, and we kind of sit and we soak and we take this in and we worship together. And, you know, sometimes we even live, leave here with, with these great ideas and things that we want to do and then we fall flat all next week. Faith requires us to take some action. When God called Abram, that's what we were at last week, Genesis 12, when God called Abram, he said, leave your family, leave the country, leave what you're comfortable with, and follow me to the unknown. Follow me. And it required for him to what? Have a conversation, pack up his belongings, 
and go. And go. Faith requires you to take action. The last thing we talked about last week is that faith leads you into a deeper relationship with God. It leads you into a deeper relationship with God. And we, t- we looked last week in Genesis 12, we were looking at that idea of um, him stopping and building an altar. So God shows up when he's in the land of Canaan, and he says, this is the land. And so he builds an altar. And I use the kind of the phrase and the picture of they got, they got after God. They went after God. It wasn't this, this passive thing, but they, they build an altar, and they, they, they slay uh, some animals, and they put them on the altar, and they burn them, and they present them to God as a sacrifice. And it's this beautiful picture of me to me of just people getting after, of pursuing God to get after him. And it's such a great idea in our life is, are you in that place? Are you getting after him? Because you see it again in the, at the end of Genesis, what we talked about last week, really, in, in, in verses 8 and 9, the idea that then he goes to another part of, of the land of, of Canaan, and then he builds an altar, and he uh, calls on the name of the Lord. He's the one. He's getting after God. So God showed up. They build an altar. They need to hear from God. They build an altar, and they just wait. And it's that idea of get after God. Get after God. I don't know where you are today in your spiritual life, but get after him. Go after him. Pursue him. And don't give up. Don't ever stop. And you'll see what happens today when you begin to stop. You see what happens today when you stop getting after God, when you stop pursuing God. And in Genesis chapter 12, uh, we're in verse 10 this morning. We're going to go through 12 um, and then we're going to pick up the first four verses of chapter 13 together. And so I'm going to read them. You follow along. And, uh, and we're going to kind of see what happens next in this life of Abram. He says, Now there was a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. It came about when he came near to Egypt that he said to Sarai, his wife, See now, I know that you are a beautiful woman. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, This is his wife, and they will kill me but we'll let you live. Verse 13, Please say that you are my sister so that it may go well with me because of you and that I may live on account of you. Some pretty big stuff right there. It came about when Abram came into Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. Pharaoh's officials saw her and praised her to Pharaoh, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. Therefore he treated Abram well for her sake and gave him sheep and oxen, and donkeys, and male and female servants, and female donkeys, and camels. But the Lord struck Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. Then Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister? So that I took her for my wife. Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and they escorted him away with his wife and all that belonged to him. So Abram, verse 13, or chapter 13, verse 1. So Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev, he and his wife and all that belonged to him, and Lot with him. Now Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver and in gold. He went on his journeys from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent, um, to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai to the place of the altar he had made there formerly. And there, I love this, there Abram called on the name of the Lord. There, back there, he called on the name of the Lord. 
You see, what happened in Abram's life is we're going to talk this morning about famine. Famine. And the idea is what you're introduced to in, in Genesis chapter 12, verse 10, is there's a famine in the land. There's a famine in the land. And what we're going to talk about, kind of the big idea this morning, is that um, famine without faith, famine without faith leads to forgetting God. Famine without faith leads to forgetting God. And that's the idea for all of us, because the truth is, in all of our lives, we're going to go through a season of famine in our life. We're all going to go through a season of famine in our life. Now, in Abram, it was a very real famine. It was a famine that hit the land. For him, it was there's, there's no food, there's, no, there's, there's drought, there's no resources for his, his cattle, there's no resources for his, his animals to be fed and to grow. And, and there's this idea of he's got to do something for some food. He's got to do something for some food. Now, you've got to understand that there's some time that passed here. We don't know how long, but we know that a famine doesn't happen overnight. So we know that there's some time that passed. And what you encounter with Abram is there's this famine. And see, when you look at it, you see, think that, that for him is a physical famine. It's something that's really happening. But it's also this piece of, of trial that enters into his life. Think about it for a minute, okay, from Abram's perspective, okay? Think of Abram and the idea of God had just um, recently called him to leave his country, to leave what's known in his country, to leave what's known from his family and take his stuff and to leave. And so he did, in, a, in an act of faith, in this step of faith, he packs up his things and he goes to a place that Scripture tells us. Scripture is very clear, and it says he didn't know where he was going. Hebrews chapter 11 says he didn't have any idea where he was going. Didn't know, but he took this great step of faith and he went and he did it. And he gets into the land and God shows up and God says, this is it, this is the land that I'm going to give to your descendant. This is it right here. You're standing in the middle of it. And, and Abram, he builds an altar and he worships God right there. He gets after it. He journeys a little bit more through the land and then he builds an altar and he calls on God and he's journeying a little bit more through the land. He had done all of this, these great acts of obedience, right? These marvelous steps of faith in his life. And a famine enters into the land. Now, how many of you in your life, you feel like you've done something really great for God? And then you feel like God let you down. You feel like, I did all of this, whatever it is. You're like, I was, God, I was so faithful in walking with you. And then you feel like, no, he, he let me down after that. You got to enter into Abram's world here. Okay, you got to enter into his world a little bit if you want to see the truth of this passage. Because that's what's going on in his, in his mind. You can see um, the truth of, of this just in what plays out from here because he stops calling on God. He begins to forget God and he goes through all of these things and he goes through a famine in his life, this season in his life. He goes through it by, um, without faith, which leads him to forget God. And he goes through all of this and he just forgot. There's no relationship there. There's no pursuit there. There's no trust there. There's no rest there. You don't find it anywhere in these passages until you get to verse 4 of chapter 13 after he's been run out of Egypt and he goes back to the place where he'd built an altar and there he calls on the name of the Lord. Again, it's the first time you see it since he did it back in verse 9, verse 8. It's the first time you see it again. So he's in Egypt and he went through this famine, this trial without faith and he forgot God. 
And I wonder this morning, for us, if, if that's where some of you are. You're going through a little bit of a season in your life of famine. You're going through some trials. You're going through some tribulation. You're going through some struggles. And a little bit, you're kind of shaking your fist at God, going, but God, I was so faithful to you. God, I did all of these things for you, all these great things for you. Now, where are you now? Kind of asking that question. And so what happens in the midst of that is when you begin to forget God, it leads, and you see it in this text, to four specific things, four kind of movements, okay, in Abram's life. And the first one is this, that forgetting God leads to self-preservation. Forgetting God leads to self-preservation. In parentheses, you might want to put the word fear, because that's the idea. Um, Self-preservation is really this this fear uh, of that it's going to be the end of you kind of thing. So you're going to think about ways that you can uh, figure out, and that's what you see what's coming up. But self-preservation is, okay, this this doesn't feel right to me, and I'm afraid that something's going to happen to me. I'm afraid in the context of this famine specifically, self-preservation kicked in. And he said, now wait a minute, wait a minute. I know there's a famine in this land, but I know that down in Egypt, Um, There's plenty of food. There's plenty of resources. So in in my understanding and self-preservation, it kicks in in his life. He says, I'm going to journey down to Egypt. And that just sort of kicked in for him. And for, for a lot of us, that's what happens when we go through trials. The first thing that we see in the midst of trial sometimes is fear. And when you begin to see fear, you begin to worry about you. You begin to think about how this impacts you, how it affects you, but you start to think, what's going to happen to me? And so he's, he's in this place that actually happens twice when you look at the text. The first is he goes down to Egypt, and then the self-preservation kicks in uh, a little bit later when he gets near Egypt. But there's this idea of fear and I don't know where you're at today on your, your walk of faith. I don't know where you are in your relationship with God. But maybe you're in the middle of this famine. Maybe you're in the middle of this trial in your life. And you've kind of gotten to that place where you're afraid. Like you're afraid you're not willing to take that next step of faith because maybe fear has crippled you. Maybe the unknown is so um, freaking you out a little bit that you're, just, you're not willing to take that step. And it's paralyzed you. It's gripped you. And fear has your heart. Maybe that's where you are today. Maybe you're afraid of of taking that step of faith and what it means to you because self-preservation is about preserving you. And for some of you, it might be about preserving maybe your identity. It might be about preserving, you know, who you are. It might be preserving the way people think about you. It might be preserving your reputation. I don't know what that is, but but for a lot of people, it's like when self-preservation kicks in, you can throw God out the window. And that's what happened in Abram's life. Self-preservation, okay, pack my stuff up, I'm going down to Egypt. It kicked in. Forgetting God leads to, number one, self-preservation. Number two, forgetting God leads to self-reliance. Self-reliance. You see, we live in a culture, that self-help culture, that I can do it myself, that I can figure this out on my own type of mentality that we have. Probably in this room, we probably own enough self-help books to cover the wall at Barnes & Noble, you know what I'm saying? I mean, we, that's kind of the world in which we live, right? You, this is the way to um, uh, 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 better kids. This is the way to a better marriage. This is the way to better success in your finances. This is the way to a better job. And this is the way you can all fix it yourself. You know, all of the, the diet books that are out there and all of the relationship books that are out there, we can fix it ourselves. 
And we've come to the place where we are a very self-reliant people. And in our self-reliance, we continue to neglect to bring God into the equation. We forget to bring God into the equation. Friends, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, Scripture has clearly told you that He will never leave you nor forsake you. Scripture has clearly told you that you are indwelled with the Holy Spirit of God. Friends, you've got to get to the place where you will figure God into the equation. And stop trying to be somebody that can figure this out on your own. We're really good at trying to figure it out on your own. Look at Abram's life with me in Genesis 12. Look at, look at what he says in verse 11. This is his self-reliance. He can, he can figure this out. Now, I'm, I'm, I consider myself to be a pretty decent problem solver. I, I think it's one of the things that I can do pretty well. Um, it's part of, I believe I have that gift of discernment, and so problem solving, kind of putting puzzles together, those types of things. I mean, I, I can kind of look at situations and figure some things out, and I believe Abram was a little bit like that. He, he sort of gets this place in verse 11. It came about that when he came near to Egypt, that he said to his wife Sarai, now you gotta, you gotta figure this out for a minute. You gotta really look back a couple of thousand, a few thousand years to see what's going on in Abram's life. So in his self-preservation, his fear, he says, I can't stay where I'm at. If I'm going to stay where I'm at, I'm going to starve to death, right? That, that's essentially what happened. Famine in the land. If I stay where I'm at, I'm going to starve to death. So I'm going to pack up our stuff. We're going to head to Egypt. And, and so then it, it dawns on him um, a little bit of information about his wife. And it dawns on him in the midst of this that something needs to happen or else he's, not, he's still not going to make it out alive. That's really what it boils down to. Something else needs to happen or he's not going to make it out alive. And so in his self-reliance, he figures out a plan. Anybody like, you like the, movie, the, the show The A-Team years ago? Anybody watched The A-Team years ago? I love it when a plan comes together. You know, I just, I always, that's one of my favorite lines from television. Well, that's, that's Abram. He's like, man, I'm going to come up with a plan and we're going to figure this out. So he looks at his wife, 60-something-year-old Sarai, and he says, listen, baby, you are an incredibly hot woman. I know, it's my paraphrase. I know, you may not like that. But, but it's really kind of where he's at. He's like, listen, listen, if we go into Egypt, okay, all of the Egyptians are going to want to take you as their wife. And, and if we go in there, this is his plan, self-reliance, he can figure this out on his own, doesn't need anybody else's help. He goes, so I've got an idea, I've got a plan. So when we go into Egypt, let's just tell everybody that you're my sister. Let's just tell everybody, that's the plan. We'll tell everybody you're my sister, and, and it's going to be okay, is where he gets to. Self-reliance. He's come up with a plan saying, okay, if we go down there, I can just lie about who she is, and everything will be okay. I can figure this out. And really, from our super spiritual perspective, you know, looking back, we're looking back thousands of years, we're, we're thinking, oh, Abram, that's a horrible idea. You know, because we, we have the context of history on our side. But I'll say, if we were living in it, I mean, you got to give them some props. I think it's a good idea. I really do. I think, I mean, listen, he, living in it, I know, I know that's not necessarily popular, but I mean, even the commentators that I've been reading this week, they're like, this was actually, for that day and time, this is a really good idea. Because what Abram's trying to do is he's trying to buy some time to, so he can figure it out a little bit more and figure it out a little bit more. And that's what he does. So he starts off, and it's like one thing leads to another, leads to another kind of thing, which is what self-reliance, you know, it's kind of like that one lie needs to, leads to another lie, which leads to another lie, which leads to another lie. Some of you lived that before in your life. 
But it's the idea of self-reliance, that you can figure this out on your own. And so he says, hey, baby, just tell everybody that you're my sister and not my wife. That's trying to figure it out on our own. I don't know where everybody's at in this room. I know where some people are. And I know what my tendency is when I'm going through a famine, when I'm going through trials, when I'm going through tribulations, when I'm going through those things by default because I'm human, because we have this human nature, I try to figure it out on my own first. And then I might come to God and say, okay, God, this is my plan. Can you bless it a little bit? This is my plan, God. Instead of the reverse going, Okay, God, like, I don't really know what to do. Well, I sort of know what to do, but I'm not sure what I should do kind of thing. And just being honest. And some of you are in that place where you're going through those trials, you're going through those tribulations, and you just got to get after God and stop thinking in your own resources you can figure this out. You might get through it the first time. You might figure it out the second time. You might even figure it out the third time, but sooner or later, Sooner or later, it's going to come. You're going to hit that wall, and you're just going to go, I have no idea what to do. And God will bring you to the end of yourself because that's what he does because that's when he's most glorified in your life, when you get to the end of yourself. Self-reliance, self-reliance. Choose today. This isn't really application point. This is just an encouragement. Choose today to stop relying on yourself and get after God in the midst of the trials that you face. Whatever it is, get after him. Choose to just get before him, get after him, just, just pursue him and stop trying to figure out and come up with answers on your own. That leads to, self-reliance leads to, this is a great word, and I love it, selfishness selfishness. I know it all sounds the same, and I've I kind of been looking at it, and I think it, they're, they're different to me. They're, they're different as I look at it, because, uh, you know, the self-reliance piece, or the self-preservation piece is what? I'm afraid, and so I've got to figure out how to continue my life. He says, if I stay here, if I stay in it, where I'm at, I'm going to starve to death, because a famine's in the land. Then he, self-reliance kicks in, because he's getting closer to Egypt, and he's like, I've got to come up with a plan, I've got to come up with a plan. But, selfishness is revealed in what he says. Selfishness is revealed in what he says. And, he, and, and listen, this is, this is so true of all of us. I'm, you're about to participate with me, so I'm just kind of giving you a heads up. I'm going to have you repeat a word with me. Um, verse 12, let go back up. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife, and they will kill me, but they will let you live. Verse 13. This is, this is so good. Please say that you are my sister, so that it may go well with me. Because of you, and that I may live on account of you. You see, his selfishness is revealed in what he says. Listen, listen to it again, just in case you missed it. Please say that you are my sister, so that it may go well with me. Now I want you to say the word me. I'm going to repeat this a couple of times. Now you can do this. Everybody awake? Look up. Hey, there you go. All right, so I'm going to repeat this verse, and when I get to the word me, I want you to say me, okay? Can you do it? 
Because I want you to realize how selfish we are. Okay, let's go. Please say that you are my sister so that it may go well with me. Oh, you did so good. Let's try it one more time. Please say that you are my sister so that it may go well with me. That is so good. And it's so true of us in our lives, isn't it? That idea of selfishness, that, that what we're after is me and, and how I look and how this affects me. I mean, listen to how he said it. He's like, say this so that it will go well with me on account of you that I may live on account of you. It doesn't matter about you. What matters is me. You don't matter, but I do matter. So go in here and lie. I don't care that you're going to be taken into some other man's house. Go figure that one out, guys. Seriously. I mean, think about that. It doesn't matter. So on account of you, this is going to be really good for me. Selfishness is revealed in the middle of this. And it happens when you forget God in the midst of the trials that you go through. And selfishness kicks in. And what you're only worried about is you, 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 you. You're not worried about how it impacts other people. You're not worried about how it impacts the, um, your family at times. You're not worried about how it impacts your closest friends. You're not even worried about how it impacts the, the stranger across the street. All you're worried about is how it impacts you. When you go through a famine without faith and forget God that leads to selfishness, Friends, I'm here to tell you that people around you are going to get hurt. They are going to get hurt. And I don't know about you, but I know example after example after example, some of them in my own life, of times that I went through a dry season, a spiritual low, a spiritual valley, and I went through it without faith, thinking I could figure it out on my own. I'm not worried about this. I'm not worried about God. All it boiled down to was, I'm worried about me. I didn't care how it impacted other people. And I wonder today if maybe we need to shift our thinking in this and get to where we're going to trust God with the outcome. Stop leaning on self and stop worrying about us. And think about others. A couple of, actually about a year ago, we were going through 1 John. And it's where I I really got into that phrase that says that without Christ, we are sinful, selfish, self-centered, and self-righteous people. If you remember that, I like to sneak that into sermons from time to time to time. But it's so true, friends. Without Jesus controlling our life, we will slide into the sinful pattern. We will slide into a selfish pattern in our life. Self-right. I mean, we slide into those patterns if Jesus isn't controlling us. We've got to get to the place where we're taking these steps of faith towards God. Steps of faith towards God. God's going to figure it out. God's got the solution. God's got the answer. He, he's already got it. He already knows. He already knows the end. He knows the end before the beginning. He knows all of that. And friends, that's what I was saying last week when you know what? You trade the known for the unknown. Isn't it great that we as followers of Jesus, we can trade the known for the unknown because we know the one who does know? I know you got lost in that, but we can trade the known for the unknown because we know the one who knows. And we can rest in that. And we don't have to deal and live in selfishness. We don't need to live in selfishness anymore. Abram, 
come on, man, we know that. We're looking back thousands of years going, don't do it, man, don't do it, don't do it. But it reveals his heart saying, say this so that it would go well for me. Because at the end of the day, that's what I'm worried about. And guess what? For a season, for a season in his life, it went well. What you find in, in the text, what you find is that it went really well for Abram for a period of time. It's like he walked in and sure enough, his wife was as beautiful as he said he was. She was as beautiful and people came after her just like he said that they would. And they took her and they put her into Pharaoh's harem and they blessed Abraham with all this stuff. They gave him donkeys and camels and servants. I mean, they, I mean he was already wealthy. They took his wealth to a whole other level. He was blessed for a season, it seemed. But then comes the last part of this. When you forget God, it leads to brokenness. It leads to brokenness. Now, I, I need to unpack this for a minute because I, I believe we have a tendency, and I know that I do, we have a tendency to say that the brokenness is my brokenness. But that's not what I'm talking about in this, and that's not what the, the, the picture that the text is painting. It's not about your personal brokenness. This is about how you have broken other people how you have impacted other people's lives. So listen, I want to back up and I want to remind you of, of, he, of Genesis 12, 2 and 3. Let me just remind you of what God promised to Abram. He said, And I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. And I will make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and, those, and the one who curses you, I will curse, and you, all the families of the earth, will be blessed. Now, I understand, I understand in the big picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we're looking at um, the promise of Jesus, and we, we know that. But I also see something that's really uh, a temporary piece in the context of Abram's life, because Abram was promised that he would be a blessing. He was promised that God would bless those who bless him and he would curse those who curse him. He was supposed to bless all the nations of the earth. And what did he do? He went down to Egypt. And in his self-preservation and self-reliance and selfishness, he deceived the people. And so instead of being a blessing to Egypt, what happens? God sends a plague down on Pharaoh's household. Instead of being a blessing, instead of being a conduit of grace and blessing in the life of the Egyptians, he becomes a conduit of judgment in the life of the Egyptians. It wasn't supposed to be that way. It wasn't supposed to be that way. So listen, but the Lord struck. It's the, it's the only time in this text that you hear the Lord. It didn't happen in Abram and his scheming. It didn't happen in any of that. It happens as God struck Pharaoh's house with plagues because of what? Because of Sarai, Abram's wife. God says, we're not having it this way. This is not how this is going down. And he sent the plagues down on Pharaoh's household. Pharaoh had no idea what was going on. The plagues come. We don't know how he finally figured it out. Maybe Sarai told him. I don't know. But it says this. Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and they escorted him away with his wife and all that belonged to him. Friends, in our lives, we are to be a conduit 
of grace and blessing in the lives of other people. We are. We are not to be a conduit of judgment in the lives of other people. We're to be a conduit that the grace of God would flow through us. It doesn't stop with us. It doesn't end with us. It flows through us into other people's lives. A conduit of grace and blessing. What a beautiful picture that is when you really get down to it. But friends, you've got to fight through the self-preservation. You've got to fight through the selfishness. You've got to fight through the self-reliance so that you don't wind up breaking and hurting the people around you. You see, in our life, when we go through famines like Abram went through, now again, his was a literal famine, which led to a spiritual famine in his life, which led to him going through the scheming and going through the selfishness and going through hurting people. Listen, it wasn't just Pharaoh's household that was affected. Imagine what his wife felt like. What did, what, what did she feel like? She was hurt, broken, like Pharaoh's household. Friends, when you're going through these things, these trials, and you forget God in the middle of it, it means brokenness for the people that are closest to you. And sometimes it means brokenness for people that you don't even know because you don't know how your life impacts others around you. You see, there's a few things that, that I'm, I know for sure when I, when I look at Scripture. One, for us, from the New Testament, is that we are to be the light in the midst of the darkness. And that's part of, friends, that's part of being a conduit of grace and blessing in the lives of other people. How are you doing that? Or is your life leaving brokenness behind? Is your life leaving hurt and brokenness in your relationships with other people because you've neglected to be a conduit of grace and blessing? Where, where are you in that? Because it's very real and Scripture is very clear. You're the light of the world. You're the light of the world. Scripture says in Philippians chapter 2 that you are to shine like stars in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, a crooked and depraved generation. Friends, we, we, you got to understand, we are to lead the way to Jesus. You know what I'm saying? I mean, by our life and the way that we treat others, by the way that we love others, we, we've got to point, we've got to light the path to Christ. And what happens is we go through trials and we go through tribulations and we go through famines in our land in, all of, in, our, in our life and all of these things lead to forgetting God. And when we do that, the self part of things kick in. And when the self part of things kick in, we're leaving a wake of destruction behind us. So here's my, here's my couple of things for you today as we leave. Because th this is so, so good. The first two are in your outline. The third one is not. The first one is this. Be ready for the famine in your life. You could say it another way if you need to. Be ready for the trials. Be ready for tribulation. Be ready for trouble. However you just want to phrase that. But be ready for it. Because it's coming into everybody's life. And so I have a sentence down there. I just want to encourage you to kind of circle one. Just You can identify it. If you don't want somebody looking around you, it's okay to kind of hide the, the paper and circle the one you want to circle. I understand that. I know we're somewhat of a private people. But circle one. You know right now that you're going into 
or in the middle of or coming out of a season of famine in your life. And what I mean by that is trials and troubles and tribulations. So you're, you, you feel like you're going into some trials. You feel like you're in the middle of trials or you feel like you're coming out of trials. Just be real about identifying that. Because I think part of the battle that we face is being ready to know that they're coming. To know that they're coming. I mean, Abram, great steps of faith, leaves everything, and what happens? He enters into a famine. You've got to be ready for the famine. It's going to come in your life. May not be today, may not be tomorrow, but it's going to come. So what I always say is you're either going into, in the middle of, or coming out of a trial in your life. So where do you fit on that spectrum? Where do you fit? Be honest with yourself. Where do you fit? <clears throat> Second thing that I just encourage you with is to find rest in the famine. Find rest in the famine. More and more in my life, I'm, I'm learning that word rest. I'm learning to just find rest in who God is and what he said that he's going to do, and I'm just resting in that. And that's my encouragement to you today. Find rest. Stop scheming. Stop trying to figure it out on your own. Stop trying to come up with plan A. And if plan A falls through, come up with plan B and then plan C. And just stop in the middle of that and just rest in Jesus Christ. Rest in Him. And let Him reveal these steps of faith that you need to take in the midst of the season of famine that you will find yourself. My last, my last point, it didn't, it's not in your outline. Go to chapter 13, verses 3 and 4. And listen to what he says. He went on his journeys from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai, to the place of the altar which he had made there formerly. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. And my, my third thing, just get back to getting after God. You see, he had neglected that. In the midst of that, he ne- so as he journeys back, he winds up back at Bethel. And he winds up back at the altar that he had formerly made. And he calls on the name of the Lord. And that's, that's kind of my last piece for us, is just get back to it. I know, listen, we, we all, listen, everybody in this room has failed from time to time. Everybody in this room has gone through the journey that Abraham went through. We've all gone through that. We've gone through some trials that led to forgetting God, that led to self-preservation, that led to self-reliance, that led to selfishness, that led to hurting people behind. And here's what I want to say. Receive the forgiveness that is found in Jesus and then get back to getting after God. Get back to it. You can, you can sit there and you can beat yourself up for, over it. You can say, oh, I'm a worthless, horrible human. Or you can just say, okay, God, restore me renew me, revive me, and I'm getting after you. I love that picture 
in verse 4 of chapter 13, gets back to the altar and calls on the name of the Lord. Would we be a people who would do that in the midst of the trials that we face? Let's pray together. Father, we, uh, we are so humbled to be able to open your word, God, to hear, hear from you. What are, what are you telling us, God? And Father, I just pray that in the midst of our lives, God, we know we're going through trials and tribulations. We're going through troubles and, God, famines. And, Lord, we're, 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 we're in the midst of that. Some of us are, are smack dab in the middle of it, God. There's others in this room that are coming out of it. There's some that are getting ready to go into it. But, God, in the end, would we just not walk through those without faith? God, I pray that you give us the faith, the boldness to just take steps towards you in the midst of the famines that we're going to face. Lord, I pray today that you'd speak a word of encouragement to people. God, I know there's, there's so many in this room that are hurting for whatever reason. God, some of them are hurting as a result of relationships and decisions that other people have made. God, some of them are hurting because of things that they've done and the, the, the things that they've really kind of brought on themselves. But God, that, that doesn't stop you from healing and restoring us. And so God, I ask you to do a great work in us this morning and give us boldness to take steps of faith towards you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to have you stand with me. Our ushers are down front. They're going to begin moving through. We're going to receive the offering. At the same time, we're going to sing our hymn of invitation. If any of you want to make some kind of a decision today, maybe it's a decision to trust Jesus for the first time in your life. You're ready to take that step of faith and say, I'm taking that step. I'm going to trust in Jesus. And Maybe that's your decision. Maybe for you, it's just that you're going through a lot of trials in your life and you need to talk to somebody about it. And Josh and I are down front. We'd love to just talk with you and pray with you over that. So stand with me if you would, and let's sing together.